Hello and good evening and welcome to another episode of Religions, Regimes and Refugees and their Multicultural Mess. Thank you very much for joining me once again. Uh, we are close to the weekend today and uh, it's going to be Friday in a couple of minutes and uh, Friday is the end of the week. Yeah, we are looking at a fantastic weekend. I hope you guys have a fantastic weekend too. In the meanwhile, thank you so much for joining me for another episode of Religions, Regimes and Refugees. So today we're going to uh, touch up on something that I happen to fall upon. And um, it is the talk of the hour, Hindu-Muslim pol- polarization going on uh, right now. And everyone's blaming the BJP. But it's absolutely wrong. And one of the statements someone said in one of the channels said, you know, before uh, before Jinnah and the British created uh, divided India, um, there was no such thing as Hindu Rashtra, Hindu land, or Hindu nationalism. There was no such thing. This Hindu nationalism was not created by the BJP. It was not created by Hindus. It was created by Jinnah and the and the British. They were the ones who divided India, and now they're blaming us for Hindu nationalism. I said, oh my God, he is so right. Hindus did not create Hindu nationalism. It was Jinnah and the British who created this Hindu nationalism. So we're going to touch up on the subject. We're going to go a little bit behind, look at the currents that form our waves, Atwa, all that lies in between. We're going to understand through knowledge uh, and through dialogue uh, what exactly happened at Gautasya. Why are Hindus being blamed for being communal? Why are Hindus being blamed for everything that is wrong on the Indian subcontinent? As if they're the big bad people, uh, they come from outer space, they're aliens, and everyone else are poor little oh, immigrants, poor little minorities, poor little big bad, uh, you know, uh, secular people, democratic people are fighting against the big bad Hindus. They've created this image from nothing just to suit their communal uh, mentality of the minority who's really creating this problem. And this problem starts way back when. Uh, so let's go back uh, a little bit and, and, and look at what happened. So we have the... Brit- the um, we'll go back to the Mughal Empire. It comes down in 1707 with the death of Aurangzeb. Um, it drags on for another 150 years, but it's just nominal head of state. Uh, in reality, the real power behind the empire comes down in 1707 with uh, and The Indian National Congress have been telling us that, oh, the Mughals were so rich, they created all this money, and, and uh, the British stole it. It's the absolute falsehood that you can't get worse than this. I mean, a bunch of creeps, uh, sorry to say they use the word, I apologize. Uh, but, uh, yes, the Congress you know, told us falsehood, and we based ourselves on this. You see, when someone is so rich, they're not going to leave their money and run. And, you know, people don't run just if they have all this money. If they have money, they have wealth, and even kingdoms, and then they're able to purchase defense systems, uh, um, contract armies, uh, get people together, pay them, and, and, and create this, this defense mechanism where they can defend their, their territory. The very fact that 
they had nothing left to defend their territory and their empire means they had no army. And they had no army for only one reason, is because they don't have money. So whenever an empire comes to an end, just like you have now the state of Pakistan coming to an end, you have the state of Sri Lanka coming to an end, you have all these countries coming to an end, it's because they had no money. No money, it's because they were corrupt, there was infighting, there was too much of, uh, of waste of money, there was corruption, um... There was no investment in economics, there was only violence. Violence, 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 and as a result of which the, the economics crumbled. And the more they crumbled, the more they sought to resort to violence, uh, to fight the enemy from the inside, not from the outside. And that trauma on the inside lent its way to others uh, aligning with the... With the uh, communities that were left over on the inside, uh, just like how you have, um, you know, the, the left trying to, to ally with the socialists and the leftists on the ground in India and try and funding them to, to raise them up to fight against the Indian government and break down the Indian government on the inside. Uh, leftist energies doing that all over uh, the world and, and trying to uh, negate India from every sort of um, angle. So similarly, um, the empire, the Mughal Empire came down, no money. So when they left, there was nothing left. There was nothing left, there was no money. Whatever um, meager money was left, whatever leftovers were, were picked up by vultures, and I'm talking of their own people who scrambled helter-skelter and tried to form their own smaller kingdoms um, in the bargain. And so you have multiple kingdoms that were, that were fall off of the Mughal Empire. Uh, from that, you have the Maratha Empire that took over um, in the south and, and went all off and formed an empire. You had the, the East India Company allying with the uh, small kingdoms that were formed of the after the fallout of the uh, Mughal Empire coming to an end, uh, the East India Company then went um, also bankrupt because the British Crown um, uh, brought them down from the inside. The British Crown, we know about the trial of Warren Hastings and the impeachment by Sir Edmund Burke, um, and the British uh, Parliament brought them down for. Uh, corruption and wrongdoings on the Indian subcontinent, and then the British Empire took over. Okay, um, and the British Empire took over uh, from 1857 to 1947. So they were only here for 90 years, although and although the East India Company was here was for 100 years. So in all, the Brits were there for 190 years in two different factions. They came as traders and left as uh, an empire. But it was the day, everyone did the same thing, there was no difference. Um, and, and this concept of uh, communal Hindus, Hindus being communal, the big bad perception that Hindus are communal, comes from this period. Um, now, um, when the British took over in, 19, um, in 1857, uh, by 1858, Queen, Queen Victoria proclaims that all Indians um, are equal. Um, and just for uh, knowledge, 
there was no India before the British came. So there was no such concept of India. There were multiple kingdoms all about the place. Uh, the British stitched together an alliance, took over whatever was left from the British East India Company, which controlled about one-third of India at that point, it, for, to everyone's um, knowledge who thinks that uh, the British and the East India Company control India. It's, it's a false, it's a myth. It's about one-third of India, maybe a little more. Um, and then the British in, in the crown takes over in 1857. And by and large, they, they control most of the country. But through alliances, that means they don't really control it themselves. They stitch an alliance together with the different kingdoms. They provide administrative power and they provide defense and security power. And the people looking after, uh, they use um, are, are members of the alliance who provide uh, uh, who provide citizens and soldiers to the British armed forces, uh, and they become the British East India Company. So the British East India, sorry, armed forces are made up mostly of Indians from their various uh, kingdom states that they are allied with and, and areas that they control totally. Uh, so in 1858, uh, Queen Victoria proclaims that all Indians are now equal. Uh, but by 18... And by 1885, a small group of elite uh, first form a platform called Indian National Congress. Uh, they mainly educated the elite of who started going to England to study, um, and they were the first generation of uh, educated, uh, modern educated, English educated uh, civil uh, people. Uh, now being used as civil servants or um, a, a new generation of Indians to help run the administrative services of the country uh, in, in, in the British mall, basically. Um, however, the bulk of the country was poor, not because the British made them poor, because we were slaves. We, was, we were serfs on the ground. There was, we were serfs to the many Maharajas and Nawabs, and the most, most of India's India lived under British rule, uh, sorry, under Mo Mughal rule, and then the kingdoms, the small kingdoms, under the zamindari system, which is a very backward uh, serf uh, system, like like that of the uh, serfdoms in on, in Europe. Um, they were poor. The Indian the countryside was poor. They were mostly agricultural. The e economy was based on agriculture. Um, and then the British came, and then they started this new administrative system. They started uh, um, a judiciary system, which was never seen uh, on the Indian subcontinent in a very long time. They probably had it before 2,000 years ago, and every kingdom, every 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 empire had its own judiciary system, but this was a new modern system that has that continues still today. So in in eighteen eighty five, uh, the British formed a platform of these for these new elite, basically as a way to express themselves, externalize their emotions, because the British um, were the ones instrumental in getting rid of slavery all over the planet. Uh, for those who don't know, and the whole, for those who think the British were slave owners, yes, they were, like it was part of its day, but they also were instrumental in getting out uh, the, the slavery. But slavery is doesn't start with handcuffs. Slavery starts with your 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 voice, and slavery starts with your your power to express yourselves and or not express yourselves. The moment you remove someone's ability to have a voice, 
That's slavery. And slowly by slowly you set in and then you become a slave, you become a serf until someone comes and releases you and, and gives you that voice. So platforms were formed um, by the British and one of the platforms were the Indian National Congress. Uh, it was like a social media platform of its day. Today we have social media where we have a voice and you see all these uh, con socialist groups, Marxist groups, trying their very hard uh, to, to break everyone's voice, to stop free speech uh, and to, con to, to decide what speech that others can give because they want power and power comes in slavery uh, by shutting down voices and, and forcing people to go into uh, into the dark alleys to have that conversation uh, and this was no different so they started they have social media for today in the olden days but the British started the, the Indian National Congress which was a platform for discussion and exchange of ideas and just like today's platforms it spawned off movements it spawned off um, political movement and the Indian National Congress, which was a platform to exchange ideas, then became a political movement. It was started in 1885, um, but by 1878 there were uh, very few Indians were given the opportunity to, um, sorry, uh, it was started in 1885, 1878 uh, at that point, there were very few Indians who at that point were given the opportunity to join the civil service. And through this uh, new uh, platform, more and more people uh, started accessing uh, higher echelons of society through education. Very, very few compared to today, obviously, but for that time it was a lot. Um, and so, because one of the reasons why the British were scared that if the Indians would um, realize that they could run the country by themselves in administration and civil service, then they wouldn't need the British. Um, by 1906, the British Liberal Party had a landslide victory um, and a, a new... Uh, and, and someone called John Morley was the British Secretary of State for India. Okay. Um, and he wanted to gather all the moderates around the table to um, to counter the young nationalists who wanted the British to leave. As usual, there's always a group in power and another group who wants to get to leave. It's just part of the cycle of life. Uh, and there were also members of the Indian National Congress, who, who then became a political party, were radical. As they liked, as they don't like to say, but they became radical. Um, and by nineteen and by nineteen o nine, Molly's judgment was guided by Lord Minto, um, and he. We have at that point, um, Minto had received in nineteen o six a delegation from a newly founded Muslim League, which was also uh, there to support the rights of, of Muslims in India. That was also another platform, which then became the Muslim League uh, that Jinnah used to fight for in Pakistan. In 1909, we have what is called the Minto reforms, Minto Morley reforms, okay? And by itself, this act was an act of se se segregation, okay? It was mainly an act, uh, basically, for representation of, of 
of the different groups on the subcontinent and the different ethnicities uh, to, repre be, to, repre to be represented by political uh, representation uh, in the Indian um, civil service and the Indian political uh, platforms or groups and movements that were now being formed. Um, so, so it was called the Minto Morley Reforms of 1909. Uh, it was not based to, to, to divide India. Nothing was about division. The British, on the other hand, put India together and wanted India to stay together as counter to what the Indian National Congress likes to tell us. But um, it, it, the only reason that this happened is that the British didn't find any other way at that point to understand the multitudes of different groups and the communities and the subgroups and the subcommunities and the subclasses on the Indian subcontinent. Everyone thought they were different and everyone wanted some type of representation. And to have this representation, to have this representation, they had a... a, a they had a... a a reform where each group was represented on the on the subcontinent in the political sphere by certain by their own representatives now it was not very well picked up by everyone else okay um and the indian it was called separate electorate but there was there was a there was a counter reaction to this. Any and and as I read from a book, uh, another book that I I picked up over here, it's a super book by by um, by a, a Pakistani uh, Pakistani Swedish author Ishtiak Ahmed, absolutely fantastic. And he says here um, there was there were subsequent remarks to this. Um, one of the remarks is that any system of communal representation was a serious hinder hindrance to the development of self-government principle. Any general extension of this communal system would only encourage future, still further demands and would in our and, and would, in our deliberate opinion, be fatal to the development of representation on a national bias in which alone a system of responsible governments can be rooted. So this was the start of separate electorates. That means representation in the political system by different groups, not because of the simple fact that they 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 wanted to separate separate India, but they found it very difficult to navigate an Indian subcontinent with hundreds and thousands and groups and subgroups and so on and so forth. Uh, this led to, and this was the start of the movement. Of course, then you have the different political uh, entities developing over time and the different leadership leaders coming up to power. One of them was Muhammad Ali Jinnah, who was very uh, a strong, uh, he was educated in, in the United Kingdom and he was a constitutionalist. He was a super orator, super narrator. He was, he and his wife was the bell of the ball. He was a very prominent um very prominent leader of hindu muslim unity he then went forward he was one of the senior leaders of the congress and there was a problem however then came on the scene mahatma gandhi so mahatma gandhi comes on the scene much later than jinnah 
And the two did not get along together. Okay, it, we, I think we all know that uh, it's the cause of our problems on the Indian subcontinent and the division of, of, of India and our problems that we have now. Um, it was a problem. Um, so Mahatma Gandhi did not like what Mahatma Gandhi called Jinnah a Mohammedan and the Mohammedan uh, representation of Jinnah did not like it. They were opposite of each other. They were both Gujarati, so they, they should have been really similar, but they were not similar. Um, and, and as a result of which, they went their two different ways. Um, now, we look at the Congress that, that both became, were part of, and the Congress had many factions in it. We think that Congress is one synthesized party, but like everything else, everyone else, there were different um, in, in the party. There was a right wing, there was a left wing, there was a radicals, there were uh, different movements within the movement. And as a result of which, uh, you had one side, you had the socialist movement in, in influenced in 1917 by the Marxist revolution. Um, and then you had, obviously, uh, the right wing, and then you had Mahatma Gandhi. When Mahatma Gandhi came, he was... He wanted a mass, he, the Indian National Congress was a, a movement of the elite, okay, a elite educated, but Mahatma Gandhi was a mass movement against the British. And he wanted uh, a non-violent movement uh, and along with the masses of India. He wanted to connect with the grassroots level. He did not want it to be an elite movement. Jinnah was opposed to this because he knew anything that was a mass movement could go seriously wrong and you could have different elements in it, which is right, which he was right. He was not wrong at all. Um, he, it could go violent, it could go, uh, it could get radical, and that's the problem with any mass movement. You have different angles, different approaches, different people, different currents and waves. I mean, not everyone comes up at the same level with the same energy. Some are radical, you could get the pendulum, a huge spectrum from, from a really radical to, to very peaceful, but this is the problem, like I said, with mass movements. Uh, Jinnah wanted... Uh, go, to go to constitutional uh, methods. Jinnah was an advocate and a lawyer, an advocate, uh, and he wanted to use constitutional. He did not want this grassroots level uh, movement because he knew that these people were, were were angry, they were not controllable, they were not educated, and by using them they could they could absolutely throw up violence, a violent fit uh, at, at any given time, and, and, and Jinnah was against this. Uh, and so they split. Jinnah split uh, from the Indian National Congress, but the, there were other, the other reasons why the split happened. Um, the split happened in 1920. Um, and a split is also based on e eco economics, okay? Economics, finance, um, it's all about power and money. On one side, you had Nehru, okay? And his socialist colleagues who wanted socialism. Uh, that means socialism is a modern form of feudalism. Feudalism means 
the king is on the top and he controls everything. He controls all power. All power rests in his hands and he uses his ministers, his dukes and, and duchesses and his counts and countesses and sultans and his emirs and his uh, subordinates. But everything rests in the power of the state, of the, of the total authoritarian state. Socialism is a modern form of feudalism. Everything rests in the power of the state. Whoever's got control of the state, they control everything. So it's a, it's a modern form of feudalism, no, nothing different. They use democracy and they use voting, but they control the votes. They control the electoral system. They control uh, the media. They control the academia. So they're controlling your voice. They're controlling your mind. And then they say, oh, well, we've got dem democracy. No, it's, it's still feudalism. Jinnah was a free market um, constitutionalist. He wanted, he, he built his, his, his legacy he, on, on free market, on, on, um, on, on his own two feet. He uh, advocated for different causes and he made his money through his own ingenuity. He, he did not depend on tribes, on caste, on class, on socialist groups. He was a free-flowing metaphysical spirit. And he was well-spoken, he was well-educated, and this was Jinnah of the time. And that's why he was so popular, because he could speak his mind, he could do what he wanted on his own terms, and he was responsible for his own journey. He wanted that, that was a modern, in, modern Indian at that time. He wanted that for the rest of the people, but it takes very long time to develop. And so he ended up asking for Pakistan, but with this in mind. So you had one side you have Jinnah who did not like Gandhi. Gandhi was about mass movement um, and allying with these movements. Jinnah was about constitution and using the constitutional methods and, and free, uh, free market economy. And that was why the split happened. Okay. Now, if the Indian National Congress had introspected at that point to say, look, we've got two different factions and we have a, a leader that is so prominent that is leaving, can we introspect at that time? If the Indian National Congress had introspected at that time in 1920, my dear friends, we wouldn't be at this place we are today. They just let someone go. Imagine a big leader leaving. Okay, and in saying, well, I'm going to leave. I'm not going to do anything anymore, uh, um, and I'm not interested in you. I'm going completely the other side, and no one says anything. They says, okay, well, just go. What are you going? Is your is your is your company going to go anywhere? You're going to first ask what went wrong, how it went wrong. You're going to make investigations. You're going to introspect. That, my dear friends, was a starting point of the fall of the Indian National Congress. We are 100 years later than 1920. We are today, 1920, 2022, actually 22 years later, the Congress is in a free fall, but it is the same reason why they are in the free fall. But they, they, they are such a supremacist power group, such an ideologue, they think they know everything, they are socialist, Marxist, absolute totalitarian system. They will, they, they think they can do no wrong. They have their they are brain. They 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 are, they listen to the echoes of their own voice, and they never never introspect. They are perfect and almost uh, godlike. They they pretend to be the soul of everyone. They just use vocabulary and think the vocabulary is going to change anything. But we can see what's going on under the table. We can see what's happening in the back door. You think people don't understand? People can't see. People don't realize. And 
Of course, at one point when it becomes too flagrant, your silence is 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 not going to do it. They have never introspected. 2022, they are on a free fall. There's nothing left. But we wouldn't have got to this point if they did not introspect in 1920 when Jinnah left. Jinnah left, he was angry, obviously. He and his wife went to England uh, and spent some time over there. And then his wife dies. Uh, I think about 10 years later, his wife dies. Uh, back and forth, um, the back and forth. But the, he he leaves, he leaves. Um, I think his wife died. Yes, um, he 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 leaves the Indian National Congress. Once his wife died, he then goes into complete seclusion, and finally comes back to India on on the on the on the um, request of his Muslim League colleagues. Okay, uh, by then now he has left the Indian Muslim League Indian Congress a long time ago. And his Muslim League colleagues uh, know that if they're going to get anywhere, the Indian National Congress is getting too much into power. They're getting powerful. And uh, the the elite of the Muslim League, who were the landlords and the nobles, they were just a small group of people, elite. No one really cared about them. They had no power. And they were sort of, you know, relics of the Mughal Empire and and their offshoots. So these were elite high-class Muslim leaders, Muslim people with a lot of money but no power whatsoever. And they approached Jinnah, and Jinnah finally agreed. He was charismatic, he was well-spoken, he was an English-speaking person, he was an advocate, he was a constitutionalist, and he could use his constitutional methods to to fight for independence compared to the mass movement of uh, Mahatma Gandhi in the Indian National Congress and their socialist uh, uh, Pandit Jawaharlal Nehru. Uh, so Jinnah comes back and fights for independence, fight, fights on behalf of the Indian of the Indian Muslim League. However, okay, Jinnah never wanted um, Jinnah never wanted independence uh, from the British. Neither did he want Pakistan. He never started for Pakistan. Uh, he wanted to begin with separate electorates, okay? Separate electorates within the sphere of of the the Indian uh, dominion. He wanted separate electorates for uh, Muslims, and he wanted to be um, he wanted all Muslims to be then all in all Hindus to be on the other side, which was not going to happen because Muslims were all about the place. They were not. They were not going to give up their land and say, "Okay, I'm just going to go there just because one lawyer who got, who was in in the United Kingdom, um, well, who studied in the United Kingdom, is going to come and tell me how I'm going to live my life and I'm going to move just for his sake." So no one's going to listen to him. No one absolutely listened to him. Okay, he was not very uh, effective at all. He lost elections and was no one really cared about him. Okay, we're all attached to our land. Our land is the most important. We are. We are so attached to this to a land because our energy field is a geomagnetic field, and we are we are ha- people of habits, creatures of habits, creatures of uh, of energy, and we're always attached to the to the land where we grew up, where our ancestors grew up. We're not going to give it up for love and fresh air. So, Jinnah's strategy did not work. Um, 
then he wanted to be the only Muslim voice in the country. He did not want to any other Muslim voice to happen, uh, to take over his. He wanted to be the sole speaker of all the Muslims. He still did not have much effect. After that comes the problem. Was the, the problem was Mahatma Gandhi's quit India movement. Okay, where he he went on a um, on a huge he, he started a huge quit India movement in I think 1942. Um, I'm not sure of the date exactly. Quit India. Goodness, I, I'm forgetting my 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 dates. So the quit yes, ni- um, 1942. The quit India movement started uh, was a movement launched at the Bombay session of the All India. Congress Committee by Mahatma Gandhi during World War II, demanding the end of British rule in India. Jinnah was against this. He knew this was going to be a problem. He knew that these mass movements were were going to go out of hand, and they did. And the British were not going to be happy. He knew that. Um, And that was the problem. That was what turned the tide, the Quit India Movement. The British put all the Indian National Congress leaders, whether uh, the Muslim leaders of the Indian National Congress, the Hindu leaders, everyone into in behind bars. And they were behind bars for a very long time. Okay. And that void was filled by um that void was filled by Jinnah. Jinnah, at this time, was the Second World War. The, the British wanted India to join the war, uh, but Mahatma Gandhi and the Indian Co- National Congress said, no, we're not going to join the war. Uh, we want free one freedom. Uh, we want you to guarantee us our freedom. If not, we're not going to join the war. Jinnah committed Indian troops and Muslim troops to uh, the Second World War, uh, and he said he was agreeing with the. He supported the the British. He supported the uh, the second the British involving Indians. Um, Soldiers and the British were very happy that Jinnah supported them, and that's when Jinnah, uh, the British, started taking up for Jinnah, and they took up for Jinnah and they started supporting Jinnah during this time because they were more favorable to Jinnah, and the British were free market capitalists; they were not socialists. The British, the Indian National Congress was at that point led by Mahatma Gandhi and the socialist wing who wanted socialism, and the British were completely against socialism. Um, more the more they went forward, the Indian National Congress agreed with the Marxist revolution going on in Russia. Uh, during the 1942 Quit India movement, changed the tide. The the British put all the Indian leaders into into um, into prison, and basically what happened after that was Jinnah filled that void, and he became the sole Indian uh, speaker of. Uh, on uh, on the Indian um, on the Indian subcontinent, he he changed this movement. Now asking to be the sole, absolute, the sole leader of the Muslim uh, people, the sole voice, and he campaigned on the grassroots level. He campaigned, 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 campaigned. He he contacted people, contacted people on the ground, uh, the sc- universities, the schools, and people started joining him and finally realizing because the Muslim electorate was was very poor. Uh, they were left over off the Mughal Raj and they were not 
getting any grants anymore. They were going into poverty. Uh, the mullahs were taking advantage of them. And so they wanted a new leader. They wanted hope and they wanted change. They were slaves of the mullahs. They were slaves of the elite nobles who were doing absolutely nothing for them. And finally, they cu- this man comes on very well-spoken, very uh, well-mannered. And he finally speaks the same voice. He talks about the new Muslim uh, governance, new Islamic governance, where modern nation, where education, free-flowing metaphysical energy, a freedom to do what they want and not chained to their to their slaves of the, the of the nawabs of the Indian subcontinent. And finally, they uh, they agree with him, and this ended up into obviously violence, genocide, uh, called by Jinnah towards the end of nineteen. Uh, 19- the nineteen to mid forties, because the British were not giving them power, uh, Pakistan, and finally they did get Pakistan. So this did not start with this. This this movement did not start with um, with with the Hindus. It started with uh, the Indian mass, the, the the people wanting more and more jobs in the civil service, the civil service, uh, in the British civil service. The British didn't know how to have these separate elected, how the representatives of, of the different factions on the Indian subcontinent, they have separate electorates. Uh, and then starts, then they start the different platforms for the different people, groups to, to have a voice to exchange ideas. And you have the, um, well, should I say the different groups for voices uh, to represent the different voices and exchange of ideas starts in 1885. From there onwards, you get the 1909 uh, civil, um, separate electorate. Uh, from there, you get the You've got basically uh, the movements now turning political and asking for freedom from the British. Uh, the Indian National Congress having separate wings within the movement, socialist wings, right wings, uh, left wings, uh, radicals. Uh, then you have Mahatma Gandhi coming on the stage. Uh, they do not ally. Uh, Mahatma Gandhi wants a mass movement and, and Jinnah wants a constitutional revolution. Uh leads to them the the muslim league now saying leads to a split out of after which jinnah over time leads heads the muslim league he asked for separate electorates one now not just on the basis of of uh, of different uh, different ethnicities but on the basis of hindu muslim only so you have hindus on one side muslims on the other side um within the indian union within the indian dominion with a loose federal power at the center or the british at the center uh with the british controlling the whole thing but uh, two separate electorates. Then he asked only to be the only sole voice of the Muslim people, about 70 to 80 million, uh, on the Indian subcontinent. He doesn't want anyone else. He negates every single Muslim leader and they are angry with him. They do not take up for him. But during uh, the the imprisonment of the, of the people on the ground uh, of the Indian National Congress, then finally uh, he campaigns very hard and by the mid 40s he he has a real mass movement by 1946 he wins elections now he becomes a huge representative even though he doesn't get all the muslims on his side uh the british are still not giving up power there's genocide after that 
1947, then he finally asked for Pakistan. Um, in 1947, he gets his Pakistan. Uh, India split because of the infighting. India is not split by the British. The British did not want to give up India. They wanted to stay in, for, in India for at least 30, 35 years more. They did not want to give up India because they had many problems during the Second World War. They lost a lot of money. India was their golden goose. She was laying golden eggs all the time and she was giving it and, and the British were taking it. So why would they want to give up India? They never wanted to. But Jinnah wanted separate electorate and that sep wanted Pakistan, which came from, from uh, him being part of the Indian uh, National League, Muslim League. And this only happened because of the infighting of the Congress. If the Congress did not infight, if the Congress learned to introspect, if they learned to have that conversation, they learn how to to have to to resolve their issues, they would not have had this problem till today. Um, and that is a given. So here we have a, a, a separate now, uh, two different countries of which Punjab and Bengal were separated the most. Uh, people say, well, they split uh, Bengal, they split Bengal and they split, the British split uh, Bengal and the British split Punjab, but that's not true, like I mentioned before. Punjab was 50, little over 50% uh, Muslim, but they were very poor, they were not uh, very economically advanced. Uh, about 16% were, were Sikhs and about uh, the rest were, were Hindus. Uh, and although the Hindus and the Sikhs were more economically well-off and controlled all the economics. Um, and so the Punjab was divided. None of them could could uh, decide what they wanted to. Uh, Jinnah wanted the entire Punjab all through Delhi, uh, and he wanted Bengal and Assam the other side. Even the Hindu-dominated eras, he, he lied and he gave his cock and bull stories, but uh, they didn't get it. So the Punjab was divided into 80, 20, 80% went to what is Pakistan today, 20% wanted um, wanted uh what came to the indian side and uh obviously he when jinnah asked for pakistan um he he all of a sudden he comes for oh hindu versus muslim and and hindu hindu versus muslim he uses the hindu muslim card the communal card the hindu muslim card hindu muslim hindu muslim and from there you got this hindu muslim if not, there would never have been any Hindu Muslim. There was no Hindu Raj. There was no Hindu uh, Hindu nationalism. We get this Hinduism, Hindu nationalism from the from Jinnah and the British, uh, which would not have happened if the Congress had not were not in fighting. And from there onwards, he becomes, he divides the country into his rhetoric is minority majority. From there, you get all, all, all Muslims are minorities, all, all Hindus are majority. And he uses the concept of the Hindus are bad. The Hindus are bad. That's why I'm fighting. He was not fighting because the Hindus are bad. He, it was only a narrative. There was no Hindu-Muslim fighting before this narrative of Jinnah and, uh, came along. And this was because of Congress in fighting. So they created this narrative that the Hindus are bad. Uh, Hindus are all communal. And that's why I'm leaving. But he did not tell the truth. And he convinced the, in, the electorate, the Muslim electorate, and even Hindus, that the Hindus were bad. And all those who wanted to go with him would come to Pakistan, would have a super free-flowing nation. But it was only, only a narrative. 
And Pakistan, the people, what they remember is only the end. They don't remember what it starts with. They remember the end. So they remember that it, that it was, was, was broken up on Hindu-Muslim, but they don't know what happened in the beginning. And this mentality has now been the division, the f- divisional fault line between the two countries. Uh, and they have brainwashed themselves that Hindus are bad, Hindus are communal, Hindus are big bad people, and they all, uh, they all uh, destroying the Indian electorate. The Muslims, they are always on 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 killing Muslims. Uh, they're far right. The Hindu nationalists, the Hindus were made the scapegoats of this de- this fault line, which was nothing to do with them. It was the it was based on the Indian National Congress and their infighting. And ever since then, Hindus were made the scapegoats of the partition of India. They were blamed for everything that happened in India. Everything that went wrong happened in India. And the Indian National Congress took upon itself to save the minorities, to save them. But what did they need to save from? The problem was not, there was no minorities and majorities. There was none whatsoever. The only problem was the infighting of the Indian National Congress. Can you understand what I'm trying to say? This is a narrative that's gone on for too long. A narrative based on, on, on fake news to cover up a serious problem which would never have happened if the Congress took its responsibility. And ever since then, we have problems after problems after problems. Um, and I was reading an article uh, from the Indian National Congress website how, how Nehru was the first and longest serving prime minister of India and the father of Indian democracy. It's absolutely the reverse. I'm sure he did great things and, and we do owe him some, some gratefulness. Uh, and they talk about how during, however, during the 1947 riots, the traveling, he was traveling in his ambassador car as a prime minister. He suddenly saw a Muslim tailor being attacked and he asked his driver to stop the car and charge out to save the man. So basically their whole existence was based on saving the minorities. But that's not what they asked for freedom for the British. They asked for freedom for the British to help all the Indian subcontinent. They made a mess of it. They refused to take their responsibility. And then after they became the the perennial savior of of the minorities, but they created this divide and rule. They created the minorities and majorities. And then afterwards, when they wrote, when, when people who were being butchered by, by Jinnah's genocide, by his ethnic cleansing, which he called for, he, he called upon, uh, the Hindus were blamed for this ethnic cleansing. Why? Because the Hindus are majority. But there's no such thing as majority in India because we are small communities put together and all of them are stereotyped into one big Hindu community, which is wrong, which is absolutely wrong. The Hindus were made the scapegoat of this and they were they were blamed for partition of India when it's absolutely wrong. Nehru and the Indian National Congress continued this divide and rule. Um, they continued, oh, minority versus majority. When Indira Gandhi came along and and... And we had the emergencies during the 1970s. Uh, she just introduced uh, clandestine without, without support of the Indian people, secularism. And what was secularism based on? Minority and majority. And who was the majority? The big bad Hindus, the communal, who got tagged as communal 
uh, tag, uh, and they were the bad people, uh, always against the minorities, and they were they they had to be protected the minorities. So she created a narrative again that was an offshoot of the narrative of her father, which was an offshoot of the narrative of her of Jinnah, and was was a further offshoot of um, of the infighting of the Indian National Congress. And today, all these miles later communal riots are happening every time it's the Hindus, it's the Hindus, it's the Hindus. But why are we blame, blaming the Hindus? Because people have been lying for so long, they don't know what they're lying about. They've been lying for so long, they don't know why they're lying. They, they're lying for so long, they cannot even recognize each other. And today the Congress is coming to an end. But do we want to see how it started? Do we want to see why it started? Do we want to see what the mistakes were made? Do we want to introspect? And what the narratives that were used along the way to, to, to keep them in power on a falsehood and blame everyone else for the problem except themselves. And so now we have this Hindu-Muslim polarizing, but why is everyone pointing fingers at the communal of the Hindus? And they, all, they cleanse themselves this thing by secularism, but point the fingers at someone else. But the three fingers pointing back at the Indian National Congress and all the divide and rule, anyone wants to take a look at that? I'm sorry, they don't. Today we have polarization. Oh, the Hindus versus Muslims, and the Congress is losing power, and they're back to the same narrative. Hindus versus Muslims. They created the divide and rule. It started with them. And now we're coming back a full circle. The Congress is almost wiped out. But they're still hanging on to the communal Hindu. But who are they? Are they not Hindu? They're majority Hindus? Oh, but they're secular. How come you decide what you're going to be, and you decide what someone else is going to be? Because you don't know that you are in magnetic field. And you will only attract someone who's a mirror image of who you are. So, you, if you're, they are communal, you're communal too. If they are playing the divide rule, you're also playing the divide rule. Where did it start? It started with a group of people who were so supremacist, who refused to take, who, who wanted power, who refused to take responsibility for their actions. And here we go. And we get this communal now, we have this communal narrative of communal Hindus, and it's absolutely sick because that's nothing to do with the concept of Hindus being communal. On the contrary, the Hindus are just tired of everything. This narcissistic group of, of Indian National Congress and their, and their ecosystem have created uh, these Abrahamic groups. We are tired, we just want out, we want to get rid of the divided rule, and we want to understand the currents that form the waves. Atwa, all that lies in between, we want to heal. We want to heal and say enough is enough. We are human beings, we are currents and waves, we are an energy field. Your name calling, your labeling to define your transgressions and make someone else take responsibility for it is not going to happen anymore. We're going to heal, we're going to go forward. We are not labeled, we are not individual, we are an energy field. And that is my topic for today. Um, the Hindus are not communal, they have been scapegoated as um, with a narrative to camouflage for the Indian National Congress and Jinnah and their infighting and someone else who came to break up the Indian subcontinent and manipulate it for their own um, requirements. Just as million, multiples and multiples of empires before them has come. We're used to it. We're going to go through it and we're going to heal this time. We're going to tell the whole story. We're not going to tell half the version and we're going to join the dots and make sure that from now on we are we are one 
from now on. We are human beings, we are one energy field, and we're going to work together to be better and have a better India for the generations to come. So thank you very much for listening to me. I hope this has not been too long. It's 51 minutes. I know it's really long, but I hope you have a great, great weekend. Thank you and have yourself a great day.